Welcome to the podcast, Your Content Connection, Modern Content Migration Strategies for Microsoft 365. Your hosts are Jeff Willinger, who's joining us today from Los Angeles, and Rob Aldike, who is broadcasting from the Netherlands. Jeff is a cloud-first digital workplace innovator and Microsoft MVP. Rob is a project specialist with 26 years of experience in managing large enterprise projects in Europe. Together, they share unvarnished opinions from the field stories and project insights into the world of Microsoft 365, enterprise content management, and how to successfully build and execute a cloud-first content strategy. Hi, everybody. My name is Jeff Willinger, and I am super psyched to be a part of this fabulous podcast, actually my first real podcast. Uh, I'm joined by my colleague, Rob, and we're going to talk about all things cloud and cloud adoption. And when I think about cloud and cloud adoption, I remember years ago when Microsoft first announced their Azure Cloud, I, I recall clients saying to me, Jeff, we're never going to go. And now it's and now it's not a matter of when they're going to go. Now it's not a matter of if they're going to go, it's really when they're going to go, right? It's no longer that future aspiration. It's actually an urgent mandate. We all know that cloud an essential requirement for this idea of digital transformation. Digital transformation is one of those things that's on every CEO's kind of to-do list, but do they ever actually get to actually do it? Right, this global disruption for sort of the cloud, if you will, uh, was really brought on sort of sped up by the whole COVID-19 uh, pandemic that really re-emphasized the fundamental value of the system's resilience. We're gonna talk a lot about that today, the agility, the adaptability and scalability. Um, right, Rob, I mean, enterprises have no choice but to try to outmaneuver uncertainty by sustaining operations under severe disruption, flexing demand, managing a massive accelerated shift to a new way of working remote and digital working. I mean, we've been talking about it for years and guess what, it's here now. Yeah, that's right, Jeff. And I took the liberty uh, to look at some, uh, some numbers from recent surveys and I must say those numbers are quite compelling. So for instance, if you look at um, the total market value, so Gartner predicts that this basically cloud application industry will be worth a whopping $143.7 by 2022. So that's incredible. Um, also predicting that essentially if you compare to, to 2020 where basically all IT workloads add up to 20% of cloud consumption, um, will rise to 40% in 2023, so almost double or, more, or exactly double. Um, so basically the shift to cloud is inevitable. Uh, all large companies, but also smaller ones are not only considering it, but actually doing it. And basically we can expect it in a few years time, uh, the most important workloads in the IT will be running from cloud. That, you know, uh, Rob, without any doubt, uh, I think for most organizations, it's getting it right and getting it right the first time. So the cloud has proven to be this sort of big, sort of grandiose thing moving to the cloud, but how do we actually get there? Uh, you talked about some numbers, 
Research, research also shows that most enterprises still had on average no more than 20 to 40% of their workloads in the, in the cloud when the pandemic struck. That is crazy. And I understand because again, organizations are going kicking and screaming to the cloud. That's why scaling up this cloud adoption quickly is so crucial. It, like I said, it needs to be done right, quickly, correctly, and most importantly, Rob, securely. Yeah, but you might say, Jeff, that, that COVID basically called for a recalibration of the existing cloud strategy. Um, it's not just accelerating the adoption of cloud, it's also kind of a shift, probably not temporary, it's lasting, uh, focusing more on collaboration or even more on mobility, virtualization, um, and it serves as an accelerator for those trends that have already been existing. Uh, I think there's some some other topics added as well. So I think having your workload in the cloud, your most important workload, means that you focus better or more on disaster recovery, scaling out, etc. You don't want to be stuck with all kinds of security and vulnerability issues and and performance issues when you do that. Uh, but again, there all those trends have have been set already, and it's just accelerating now. So a lot of investments going on in the industry to make that happen, uh, but obviously funded by by the surge of people adopting clouds uh, by necessity almost. You know, uh, to your point, the first of these elements is really, like you said, getting uh, that migration ready, these enterprise workloads, uh, that you've, the most important thing is really selecting the right infrastructure for your needs. So. You know, I'm a Microsoft MVP. I'm obviously partial to the Azure cloud, but it really it could really go anywhere. But making sure that you've correct, you know, you've selected that right infrastructure for your needs. I always equate migrating to sort of moving homes. So when you're moving, you want to make sure you're in the right neighborhood. You want to make sure that you're bringing the right things with you. Do I really need all the stuff that I had before? And what do I need moving forward? So having a well-planned executed cloud migration it with you know good speed and cost effectiveness data security and most importantly the future business value why are we doing it are we doing it because basically we have to do this and rob what do the benefits of a successful migration look like sort of like a move what does it look like yeah if i move homes hopefully i'm happier in the new neighborhood but i i i feel like in a migration what does success really look like? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions around that still. So uh, people are looking, or at least from, uh, let's say they look at uh, at multiple cloud vendors and try to decide between them. And they see all the same marketing arguments uh, all, all the time. So it's, it's more cost effective, it's faster, it's of course less concern. You, you outsource a lot of the, the headache of managing infrastructure, et cetera. Uh, but you see in practice that uh, that IT managers across the globe are still quite um, suspicious of those arguments and really need convincing. And, and I see a lot of calling for so-called hybrid architectures from that from that. And so people don't consider to move entirely into cloud. They sort of see it as too big a bet. And and the and the reality is that the companies that have actually never look back. So the question becomes for those com uh, those uh, companies still 
thinking about uh, that big move, uh, what is holding them back, right? And, and there's a few aspects we could we could discuss, like it's cost. Um, always cost. Yep. It's always cost. cost, for sure. cost always uh, cost. It's security. Yep. Um, level of control. So what kind of control I, I'm I, I might run, uh, giving to the cloud provider, and what do I get back for that? And maybe still also performance concerns. So maybe we should talk a bit more about each of these and and see what is uh, behind it um, to kind of get to the truth of it and and see what is really bothering people about moving to the cloud. And why are they adopting like hybrid strategies? Is there a real reason for that? Or is it just being careful, being uh, not willing to, to, to risk it all, so to speak? Bottom line is, Rob, to your point, most organizations know they don't belong in the data center business, right? They can realize significant costs right off the bat by using this new architecture and new application in the cloud. Uh, you know, the real value driver of the cloud migration uh, really is the uncertain economics after this COVID world. What is the benefit? What is the benefit going to look like after we realize what it's going to look like now? But what is it going to look like after? Uh, you know, I always say you could pay me now or pay me later uh, when I'm doing a uh, when I'm doing a project and a client might look at the statement of work and they'll say uh, a certain number for design of the project and then they'll look at the UX they're like well isn't UX part of design and I'll say no user experience to me is the secret sauce on all projects making things easier to use same exact thing with the cloud we want to do it rapidly but it's got to be efficient with that sort of uh, what I would call the eye on the prize right on that innovation prize right enable the business to do things uh and do them faster indeed uh, but there's a few things then that 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 are the consequence of that so it's basically you're moving to this other country you're burning your shifts behind you it's very difficult to return to the old way of working correct and then what is the impact of that so maybe you didn't plan at all uh, you were forced by covid to make some tough decisions scale it up etc move more users to cloud way of working much earlier than you planned for, for instance, and maybe you did not bring all the governance in place that you needed, and you're going to only going to figure out in the coming months what that all means. How bad is that actually? I think through this push, actually, it will um, solve a big problem, which is if you did the planned move and inevitably you had to cut costs at some point in time, the first thing that drops is governance and thinking about how, how to organize stuff. Um, worst case scenario, you would be left with an information mess uh, just in another data center, essentially, right? So what I sincerely hope is that by moving bigger communities to cloud computing um, automatically, uh, you, you are basically forced to think about governance properly. And all of those other concerns that you thought about before are kind of behind you already. You will find out if it's cheaper or not, but are you really able to compare the cost that you previously had to the one when you're getting? You, you will be faced um, um, with it already. Same for security. Um, basically, the claim is that 
as a cloud provider, you can invest a lot more into security than you can as an individual customer. So you should have the best security available, right? But what if you don't uh, discuss social social vulnerabilities, uh, basically uh, social hacking, etc.? If you don't take measures for that in your organization, all these sort of physical and, and virtual security measures are void. And that's what I mean exactly uh, by creating the plan in hindsight. Um, once you've made the move already, you are basically forced to still think about all those features. And I think that's that's the nice thing about this trend, um, because I think otherwise that kind of uh, thinking would not have happened in the first place. Yeah, I mean, uh... You know what you're what we're talking about really at the end of the day uh, is looking to long-term value, right? I see migration is essentially the first step to maxim to really maximizing the cloud value. That scalability, resilience, security, lower cost of ownership. That's really Rob. That's literally just the start. It needs to be seen in a broader context, meaning enabling the IT environment to run in a different way and unlocking that new business value. So yeah, uh, you know, the old thing, uh, if you fail to plan, plan to fail, that's basically it in a nutshell here. Exactly, so so it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? So um, something good can come out of COVID after all. Um, essentially, if you have made the move because of this, um, it's a good thing because you need the critical mass to, to reap the benefits anyhow. So cloud computing benefits from having uh, uh, larger workloads. Uh, essentially, that's when the when when the ROI kicks in quite early, and I think that's what we see happening. But at the same time, it drives slightly different perspective from what we've seen before. Um, there's a lot of new services popping up every week almost now that are playing into the fact that larger groups of users are basically onboarding. Um, you see new paths, new SaaS services, you see uh, more advanced services than we've seen ever before, like the artificial intelligence machine learning ones, new ones popping up uh, almost every day. Uh, low code initiatives, uh, centralized analytics, uh, the first vertical solutions popping up. I think really we are in a situation where all this is accelerating and, and it is for the better for the market. Let's be let's be sure of that. I'm not sure yet if this also leads to lower cost of services. Uh, that still has to be proven, but I think if you look at the trends, yeah, that is actually the case. There's more competition. Uh, there's more cloud providers. There's something to choose from. You can actually adopt hybrid strategies much easier now, and integration is much becoming much easier. So I think the thresholds for adopting cloud fully uh, have been lowered significantly over the last few months, and it will continue to uh, to happen. You know, uh, from an IT perspective, helping our employees adapt to the sort of new way of working. So a cloud migration changes how enterprises work, right? For the IT area, employees will really be need will need to be reskilled to work with new tools and new platforms. Application support may be different, especially if the legacy applications have been switched out of, you know, a SaaS solution or refactoring uh, work that really has been needed. 
Business users too may need to adapt to the new systems, services, and all this needs to be handled with care, compassion, sensitivity, right? Uh, especially as the workforces deal with the extra challenges of managing the uncertainty around the pandemic. Definitely, and uh, and I think actually moving to the cloud gives you the kind of uh, incentive to to look into these matters uh, more closely now. Um, if at least you want to keep your end users satisfied, ob obviously just having them log into uh, to an online uh, application uh, and giving them bad performance, bad experience is not the way to go, obviously. So I do expect indeed that from this move, uh, there will be a lot of push actually to bring things like governance, uh, end user education and all of that into place. Yeah, Rob, you talked about security a little bit earlier. And uh, from what I understand, security and compliance risk is really the most frequently cited barrier to achieving full cloud value. Uh, there was a, a study done by uh, Sky High Hopes, um, a, a, a paper that I read, and it said 40, placing 46% value of their top three and 17% as their top concern, right? In addition, uh, to the introduction of strict data privacy regulations, such as in the US, GDPR requires serious thinking and planning around data security and privacy. So Exactly. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all, because if you think about it, if you move all your critical business data in the cloud and you, by nature, give away part of that control, how do you, how can you get that back? Well, basically, uh, if you look at any cloud provider now, they have a full host of quite professional security measures that you can implement or not. So let's suppose you implement them all. What is still left then uh, for you to control? In the end, it's making sure that your own personnel is trained in, in security concerns and what kind of vulnerabilities still exist. So it's kind of the last mile you still have to take care of as an organization. But the fact is that any cloud provider if you a full host of features uh, that will go far beyond what you ever been able to implement yourself when you still had your own data center. So that's the good news. The bad news indeed is that the final part of control is, is all about teaching your employees that they're still vulnerable and, and can lose data quite easily if they're tricked into it. And, uh, but at least that's more, more focused and you can create special programs for that. Yeah. Your content connection is produced by Zilio. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please take a moment to tell your friends about it. Uh, what else do you want to talk about, Rob? Uh, you know, figuring out cloud provider. I mean, w what do you think keeps folks up? I, I don't think they're thinking strategy, do you? Um, now, my, my question, which I've been pondering upon is, is how realistic is it to have a really high, on the one hand, a really hybrid uh, infrastructure architecture, and on the other hand, how to have multiple providers work together. Um, so there's pros and, pros and cons to, to both scenarios, right? And, and even if you mix up both, it becomes even more complex. So I think... Um, if you invested a lot into implementing microservices and basically all of your critical applications are relying on REST APIs and stuff like that, you're probably okay because it gives you a lot of 
options and flexibility uh, in optimizing your application landscape. Um, the fact is, is, is one of the reasons that you do it to be not relying too much on a single provider and the dreaded um, uh, vendor lock-in. If that is the reason, I'm not really sure if it weighs against the fact that you have to adopt multiple architecture standards. And deploying applications on AWS really is different from deploying applications on MS Azure. I'm not saying that those applications and services cannot work together across the providers, but you will have an integration challenge in that sense. So it really has to have a strong business case before you consider that. And I see more and more organizations opting for trying to get the best out of a single provider before they consider um, shifting some workload uh, to another. So that's one aspect. For the hybrid one, uh, I think you still have to have some really strong arguments to still keep certain workloads uh, on-premise and connect parts of it to applications that are already in the cloud, whether it be SaaS, PaaS, or your own homegrown stuff that you host there. Um, but I think the, 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 the argument I hear most still by, for keeping stuff on-premise is not so much security, it's performance. And that's maybe for some of those workloads that the new trend of edge computing um, can provide an answer. I think initially it, uh, it's mostly geared, edge computing is mostly geared towards the adopting IoT, right? So all those remote sensors, et cetera, that somehow you want to connect real time to your cloud applications. And that's not a trivial thing. So for that, edge computing has, has, has been invented. And, and that's more interesting, I think, for those remote locations, maybe regional offices, for instance, that don't have a high-speed connection and still need, need to process a lot of data, you can do that locally and synchronize it later with your main application in the cloud, for instance, your big data platform or something. So both technologies would make sense to... Um, purposely keep a, a hybrid architecture, I would say. Um, but it's more like finding a solution for a performance problem than anything else, as far as I can see. You know, like anything else, getting the right professionals behind you is going to be the key to any successful project. Again, uh, going back to migrating, you know, moving homes. If you're going to have some home construction, you want to have the best or one of the best you know, draw out the plans, figuring out if you're remodeling a, a bathroom where, you know, do we want to upgrade the toilet? What kind of sink do we want? The lighting, maybe wallpaper, exact same thing when we're migrating, uh, say from FileNet to SharePoint or Documentum to SharePoint. Having the right professionals behind it, I think is going to be the key. And that's an interesting thing, uh, Jeff, because if you think about it, um, what professionals do you still have in-house to do that kind of stuff? You outsourced all the hardware infrastructure parts already. Um, basically, the whole maintenance of whatever you have running in the cloud is done remotely, still by your own personnel. But more and more, we see uh, basically repetitive tasks, but also special one-off tasks, like you mentioned migration being handed over to external experts. And that's not a bad thing as such, but 
you have to make sure that you do the due diligence and contract the right party with the right experience to do that kind of stuff because it's still about your precious data. Yep, exactly. Thank you for listening to Your Content Connection, where we share unvarnished opinions about the world of content management with our listeners. This podcast has been brought to you by Zilio, your Microsoft 365 partner. Check us out at www.zilio.com. I've got something uh, I, I want to finish with. Um, so when you're thinking about migration, defining the cloud migration, I, I read this uh, Accenture did a study and they have they call it the seven R's. Retire mm-hmm. the applications you simply don't need anymore. Retain on-premise applications that are too complex or costly to migrate. Rehost applications quickly in the cloud. Replatform applications that need to run on a different operating system in the cloud. Five, replace applications for which better and or cheaper SaaS solutions are available. Absolutely. Six, refactor applications that need significant code rework for the cloud, decoupling them from other systems as needed. And then the seventh seventh R is reimagine business processes to take advantage of the cloud, often by redefining and enhancing core value props. Yeah, that's a very, very, very valuable model, actually, uh, Jeff. And um, I know, I know it. Um, I, I, I have, I've worked with it actually, when I was part of that organization. Um, what, 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 what is the thing that you can get out of that kind of mantra? Mostly, is you need the, the right criteria to decide between those scenarios. That's very important, and you have to really think that through. Um, because I think when you're decommissioning legacy applications, you have to make really sure that you can actually do that without uh, causing too big a problem. And I've seen very often that when you shut down whatever application or database, which still has users, that you will find out if you did not do it properly, uh, you run into trouble because you effectively lose data or the access to data, or at least a reasonable way of accessing the data. And that's why you really need to think three times before you actually do it. Sometimes I've seen that it's better to indeed replatform it into cloud, still keep it available, um, uh, other than shutting it down altogether. So the criteria for doing that are really important for choosing between those scenarios, but they all have value. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, Rob, this has been a, uh, a super fun time uh, chatting about the cloud, way more information than many of our listeners uh, might want. But uh, I think that we covered all aspects of cloud adoption, what's in it for the end user, and next steps. Excellent. So um, let's keep it at that for now, and uh, sure. we'll rejoin uh, the next time. Thanks for listening. Your content connection is produced by Zilio. Your hosts are Jeff Willinger and Rob Aldike. Your content connection is where you hear unvarnished opinions, project do's and don'ts, and from the field insights into the world of enterprise content management, cloud-first strategies, and Microsoft 365. If you enjoyed our podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from today. Until next time.